Good morning, guys. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. One of the things I do every week is uh, I try to listen to myself speak. And that's not because I'm like really impressed or, or selfish or anything like that. It's a very painful process because uh, when you listen to yourself uh, critically, you, you recognize all the stumbles and words and the uhs and, and all the, the you knows. And that's one I work on. Uh, and uh, I didn't get to the sermon this week until yesterday. At our, and I listened to my sermon and I was right in the middle of it. And I thought, wow, I made a mistake because I totally oversold this week. I was like, next week you have to hear the sermon. And and I'd already prepared and I went, wow, the pressure's on now. Uh, I still think it's going to be a great message, but uh, I learned a lesson. You don't want to ever oversell too much. You want to undersell and overdeliver. But the reason that uh, I was so enthusiastic about this week and I recognize the importance is because we're going to discuss and look at scripture today of, about something that affects every single one of us. Every single one of us has encountered and have to deal with rejection. Every single one of us can go back in our minds and remember an instant, can remember the words, can remember the facial expressions. And we all have encountered some sort of rejection. And I've read a lot of biographies and, and even have had the chance to spend time with some high achievers in life. And those who are famous and successful in the world's eyes and uh, are well-known, they're not immune from this either. In fact, if you begin to study great lives, most people have a defining moment in which they encountered some form of rejection and often those who have succeeded in the eyes of the world or who have accomplished something, they have responded from that rejection. Uh, and that has been a catalyst to bring about positive things in their life. But the truth is this, is that we all must realize that those moments of rejection and those times of rejection that we have in our life, we, we tend to have a sense of self-pity and think, this only happens to me. This hasn't happened to anybody else. We, we tend to have a very isolated perspective to think that the rejection that we've encountered is something unique to us. And so we begin to role play and we begin to think, well, if I didn't go through this rejection, look where I would be. Or if if uh, I hadn't encountered this situation, look how much I, had, I would have progressed by this time. And we're very, very isolated. And here's the truth and, and a phrase you've probably heard before, uh, but it has meant a lot to me. And you'll probably hear this many, many times if you hear me speak, is this. Don't compare what you know about yourself to what you don't know about other people. Isn't that a true statement? We are always comparing ourselves to others. And we think we know what others have been through. And we think we know other people's motivations. And we think we know other people's circumstances. But the truth is, once you begin to discover other people's story, most people have a lot more baggage in their stories than they care to share or that they ever let known to you. 
And yet we always are looking to other people and, and we think that they have advantages we didn't have and they had opportunities we didn't have. And many times we can go back to that moment of rejection and that is where it stopped for us. We stop in our relationships or we stop developing professionally or we, we stop somehow emotionally and we're stuck in 1987 or 1992 or 1953 or whatever the case is where we encountered some measure of rejection and that stopped us and it stopped progress in our life and we're stuck there and we're stuck and paralyzed by rejection. And that's why it's so important that, that we've been building a case through First Peter because there's some, there's some truth that the Lord wants to show us through this book that I believe that uh, will stop the effects of rejection in our life. Now, here is what I'm not going to do. Is, is I cannot give you a lot of psychology and psychiatric techniques here. Uh, most of those, when it talks about rejection, want to take you back to where you were and unpack some of those things. And, and perhaps that has value. I'm not speaking for or against that. But all I'm saying is this, is that I believe through the word of God and through the truth of the word of God, that wherever you stopped on that journey of rejection, wherever you were paralyzed, that you move forward today. You move forward today because that's God's will. It is not God's will that you live under this shadow. It's not God's will that you live and, and that the word uh, perilous just keeps coming back to me. Like you can't move. You want to progress. You want to go forward. But that pain of rejection has stopped you. And it stopped you from moving forward. That's not the will of God. And I believe that after today, God wants to speak healing in those areas. Healing and deliverance and to move us forward in him, to get us to progress into the things he wants to do. I, I wish that I could protect everyone from re- rejection. And, and as a parent, I'm already discovering that that's not going to happen. I, I, I want to create safe environments. I, I want to make sure that every time I send my child to school or send them to the local playground or even send them to church, that they're never going to be made fun of. They're never going to be criticized. They're never going to be talked about. But I'm already discovering I have young children and you can't keep people from that. You can't. You, we live in a sinful world and a sinful world is always rejecting things. And, and when I talk about rejection today, I'm not talking about the things in our life that need to be rejected. I believe that sin needs to be rejected. Bad attitudes, the, just foulness in us needs to be rejected. I mean, there there's some bad traits of our personality that maybe need to be uh, rejected. If you're a jerk, you know, there's some areas you might need to be rejected in. But I'm talking about the good things, the God-birthed qualities he's put within you. The things he's placed in you that somehow that in a sinful world, not everyone are going to applaud the goodness within you. Not everyone's going to cheer you on. Not everyone is going to put gas to your fire. There's people who want to and bring pleasure, take pleasure in extinguishing the passions of your life. They love to throw water on your passion. They love to extinguish the thing in you that's alive. The, the, whatever God has placed inside of you that says, this is who I am. This is who God created me to be. Those things can be extinguished very, very quickly. And for some of us, those things were extinguished very early on in life. Can I tell you that there, God said that we can fan into flame the gifts of God that are within us? That we could stir up, we could stir up those things that seem dormant and long, that God can, can cause those fires to, to, um, 
reheat and reignite and come back to life again. And I believe that's his will. First Peter chapter two. Uh, we talked two weeks ago about how we are called to to long and to uh, crave the things of God. And starting in verse four of first Peter chapter two says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Talking about Jesus there. Verse five. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that I found about Scripture is sometimes you have to read Scripture really slow. Because if you read that sentence, like, it just is beautiful and poetic and it just kind of flows off and then you read right past it. But there is some truth unpacked here. There's some realizations here that I believe is going to move you beyond the negative effects of rejection. Now, we start in verse 4 there, and it says, You come to him, the living stone. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the living stone. We're going to address that here in a second. But then notice the qualifying statement there. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. That's talking about Jesus. And and I want you to write this first observation down. And because if you're going to overcome rejection, I have a sobering but true point. This is not the most encouraging point that you're going to get, but it is going to help you. And is this rejection is part of life. Number one, rejection is part of life. I wish that I could Tickle your ears and say, hey, follow God and you'll never be rejected. Put God first and you'll never be criticized. You'll never be um, ostracized. You'll, you'll, you'll always be accepted wherever you go. But that's simply not the case. And if you think about this remarkable fact that verse 4 says and throughout the Bible, that the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God, that Jesus himself was rejected. I mean, it's hard for us to... Realize that it's hard for us to understand that he means so much to us and we've accepted him. And really, we live in, in one of the most unique geographical areas of of the world where it's actually popular for us to accept Jesus here. Or, or at least a form of Jesus, that safe form of Jesus, that religious form of Jesus. It's actually popular for us to accept that. And so the concept of a Jesus who was rejected, sometimes we forget that. And it's important that you understand this because some of us are paralyzed by our rejection because we are thinking that it's it's isolated to us. We're the only ones that the ramifications of the rejection in our life are unique. But Jesus himself was rejected. I can't protect even my children. I try to create environments for them to try to keep them from rejection and try to keep them isolated from that. And I can't even do it. And I would dare say we can't even do it in this building right here. As much as we want to. I mean, I hate to say this. We are going to have a loving environment at VBS this week. VBS, we're going to have a loving and encouraging environment. But because man is sinful, there's going to be some snotty-nosed fifth-grade kid that's going to make a girl cry. And that's just the human nature, uh, the effects of original sin in here. There's going to be some teenager at the Florida beach camp that's going to say something stupid and is going to be insensitive and wrong. And I'm not trying to make light of that. 
And I'm not even trying to say that, oh, just get over it. I'm trying to say is you have to be aware of it that people are going to reject you. And, and, and if you think that's isolated just to people you don't love, wrong. Wrong. How many, how many times do we know that even in a marriage relationship, even a marriage relationship where there's that lifelong love and, and we're supposed to be bound in love forever because we're sinful people, we reject our mates in, in one way or the other. It might be a, it might be a, our tone of voice. It might be a facial expression. And when it comes to children, if you aren't ready for rejection from your children, then you, you have a, a surprise coming. Because I get this all the time from my sons. You're mean, Dad. And I tell them, you're exactly right. I'm about to get more mean. When, 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 I, when I discipline them because of their disobedience, I've gotten this. Well, I don't like you anymore. You're not my friend. And I'm not your friend. I'm your dad. But if you're not, if, if you don't understand that human nature breeds rejection. And Jesus, when he came as God and came in the form of man, I mean, reason and logic would, would, would tell you that if, if God himself is in, in the form of a man, he would be the most popular person everywhere he went. He would be loved and embrace this personification of love, this God, man who heals and speaks truth and opens doors of forgiveness, he would be accepted wherever he went is simply not the case. Luke 9, 22, Jesus knew this. He said it this way. He said, the son of man, this is Luke 9, chapter 9, verse 22, the son of man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That type of rejection is very specific. That the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, those who studied the scripture, those who uh, would even write the scripture out, who knew the prophecies, took a look at Jesus and said, you're the Messiah? No way. They rejected his rightful claim as the Son of God and the Messiah. And that kind of rejection didn't just infect him emotionally, affect him emotionally, it turned people against him. When the, the chief priest and the teachers of the law, when they rejected Jesus, they had followers. And it wasn't just that a couple of uh, staunchy religion, religious guys rejected him. It was all the people underneath them, a whole movement of people rejected God, rejected the Messiah. Jesus was familiar with that. Luke 17 Luke chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. It says, For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning with flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Now look at 25. This is a remarkable statement. But first he must suffer many things and look at this phrase and be rejected by this generation. Jesus wasn't just rejected by individuals. He will be, he was and will be and is being now rejected by a whole generation of people who said we're turning our back on the ways of God and the things of God. And people are beginning to even reject Jesus within the organized church now. It's astounding what's even happening in the Christian church in America right now. Jesus was rejected we will be rejected. Now, why am I saying this? You're like, wow, encouraging today. This is great. I want your eyes to be open 
because many of us are trying to find acceptance from every place else besides where God designed our acceptance to come from. And our life is paralyzed because we've been rejected by our parents. We've been rejected by our spouse. We've been rejected by our children. We've been, proje- we've been rejected professionally. We've been rejected in countless ways, in all types of ways that we can identify rejection in our life. And we begin to think that that is who we are. We're a person that is under rejection. Can I tell you that the rejection that, that, is, that you are under is a result of the sin in your life, excuse me, is a result of the sin in this world. Now, the sin in your life, that, that uh, we already talked about that. But the, the spirit of rejection is from the enemy. It's from, from uh, Satan himself who desires to make you think that you will not be received and that you will not be accepted when that spirit doesn't come from God. It's so important that you know this because how you respond to rejection is a major factor in your spiritual success as an individual. Why do I make this unremarkable and somewhat discouraging point that rejection is a part of life? It's because the way you respond to rejection greatly determines your success spiritually. Rejection uh, tends to affect females in a more visible way. Maybe because females are more verbal. Maybe females tend to lead more emotionally, which is not an insult. It's a, it's a place of honor. It's a place that God's designed. And, and there seems to be a, a, a certain phase in a female's life where they receive a measure of rejection. And that will affect a woman the rest of her life if she doesn't take it to God. It will determine every decision. It will be the filter by which she makes every decision and she views life. Men, men deal with rejection all the time. If you're married to a man, you understand that. Men deal with rejection differently. They, they, they sometimes try to hide it. They try to overwork it. They try to mask it. They try to uh, uh, cause the rejection to go deep, deep down into this ocean of busyness and this ocean of accomplishment. But inside them, there is uh, someone who's been hurt and someone who's been wounded. And this whole, this whole uh, concept of rejection is a multi-billion dollar industry. Books, counselors, therapy sessions, all these things. I'm not speaking against those, but I'm just saying this is that is that those things are the result of our damage that we have received from rejection. Well, I'm going to give you a very simple point now. I gave you a negative simple point, but the next one you're going to say, oh, yeah, but if you yeah, have big deal, Aaron. But if you can apply this to your life and we're going to look from the scripture and to see clearly Clearly what God is saying to us, here's the second point. We escape the pain of rejection by going to God. That's where we go with our rejection. We don't try to mask it. We don't try to relive it. We don't try to do anything. We go to God and go to his healing and go to his word and to go to his perspective. And that's where we find we find uh, deliverance from the pain of rejection. Now I want you to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And we're about to spend in this portion of the message here. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. Because here's one of those times where we just kind of read through a scripture and we lose the kind of the punch to it. You know, we, we lose the power to it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says this. Now, it says... Uh, 
as you come to him, the living stone. Seems like a a very simplistic statement, but that word come is a very important word. Because that word in the original Greek has a, a tense that talks about intensity. As you intensely come, and it doesn't talk about just coming one time. It talks about coming to abide. Coming for a permanent relationship. As you come to him with intensity, this means abiding, this means personal, this means intimate. And it's obvious here that this is talking about more than salvation. It's it's talking about more than just a one time. Come to me for salvation. And, And that is needed and necessary, and that's step number one. But there is, in this definition, there's a sense of a continual coming to God, a continual seeking after Him, a continual going after Him. And so in verse 4, it says, as you intensely, continually come to Him, the living stone. You're going to God. It's it's intense. It's intentional. It's something that you decide, I am going to God. I am coming towards God. I'm coming to His way. As you come, something's going to happen. Now, I want to take a quick journey with you, and we're going to look a little more about that verb and, and other places in the Bible that it's at, and we'll see exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate and what the readers of this letter, what they uh, obviously connected with. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and verse 29. We love this scripture. I love this. Jesus said, Come to me, intently come after me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, when we come to Jesus at salvation and we give our life to him, does that mean that we're never tired again? That we're never weary? That we're never burdened? Absolutely not. God said, when you're weary, when you're burdened, when you're tired, intently come to me. Intently come after me. In verse 29 of Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can I just encourage you that if you're tired of all the things you can do, dwell in his presence. It's, it's like when we're tired, that's the last thing we want to do. When we're tired, we want to, we want to watch TV and not read our Bible. Just veg. <laughs> Someone else live for me. We, we want to, uh, we don't want to pray. When we're tired, we'd rather have the extra hour of sleep than go to church. But can I tell you that when you expose yourself to His presence and you're in His presence, that's where you'll find rest for your soul. Go with me also to the book of John. Jesus uses the same language that Peter's using in verse, in chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, there it is again, who intently comes to me, intentionally comes to me, will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And Throughout chapter 6, later on, you can go through it and it, it has a phrase, come to me, about three or four more times. And the interesting thing about it, and, and we'll say this now, is that later on in John chapter 6, we learn that we don't even have the ability to come to God unless the Spirit draws us. Isn't that incredible? So when I say, you have to come to God, 
Don't don't mistake me to for me to think that I'm communicating that it's not his grace and it's not his wooing and it's not his drawing. But sometimes God, his grace is enabling us and his spirit is drawing us and his spirit is wooing us to him. And we still just stand there and don't move forward. You see, the call, the fact that you're even here in this sermon today, can I tell you, it's his grace that's calling you. It's his great. Yeah, sure. You got in your car and you drove here and you walked and you picked out your seat. But can I tell you that it's his grace that even gives you the ability to hear the word this morning that's drawing you and calling you in. But you have to come to him. You have to intently say, I'm going for you, God. I, and it's not a one time salvation. It's I'm continually seeking after you. I'm continually going after you. Now, the book of Hebrews, we're going to look at three different scriptures in Hebrews that uses the same word. Uh, but it uses it in three different interpretations. First one is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And I, I'm just trying to set the case. I'm trying to uh, raise the awareness. I'm trying in you to not simply, let's just read the word through and, and, and enjoy the poetic aspects of it. But what's the meaning here? Hebrews 4, 16, chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then approach... Now, it's not the word come, but it's the same Greek word. Let us intently go after God. Let us intentionally and permanently dwell with him. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. It's intentional. It's a decision of your will. It's you saying, I am going for God. Go on now in the book of Hebrews to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 25. Boy, I love that sound right there. That's, I had to sleep to that sound. You know, the Bible's, the Bible's moving, you know. That's a great thing. Maybe I just thought of the new Christian marketing section there. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Wow, what a statement. He is able to save completely those who come to God because he always lives to intercede for them. Go on to chapter 10, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. says this, Let us draw near. It's that same word interpreted differently. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure heart. Verse 22, let us draw near. Let's go after God. Let's come to God. Let's seek after him for an abiding, permanent relationship, getting past salvation. Getting past fire insurance. I said it a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again. You know, Satan, he's lost the battle for your soul at salvation. And now he's fighting for your potential. He's fighting for uh, your ability in God to be what God's called you to be. And we have to draw near. So we went through all that evidence of Scripture to go back to verse 4. Now I want you to read it again. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this. I'm in Second Peter. All right. That's why I have Troy back there with a the computer. Thanks. As you come to him, as you come to him, 
And here's the interesting part. You are making decision. You are seeking after him. You are going for God. You know, we're always, I think we've been almost preconditioned to always wait for opportunities to come to us. But you see, it's both. His spirit of God has already prepared our hearts and prepared the atmosphere and prepared the situation. And his prevenient grace has come on our life to prepare us to even receive him. And so that longing for God and that drawing you have from God is not from you. It is from him. But you have to make the step and you have to make the decision and you have to go for God and you have to come to him. Now, I say all of this is because some of us, we've quit going to God. We've quit coming to him because we've been crippled by rejection. We're less of who we're supposed to be. We're less of who God's called us to be because somehow this rejection has crippled us and has kept us. Now, watch with me here in verse four again. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the living stone rejected by men. So Jesus is rejected just like you and I are. I mean, that's just a remarkable thought. Rejected by men, but chosen by God, but chosen by God, you precious to him. Now look at the beginning of verse five. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. So here's what he's trying to say. Listen, go after God. Seek after him because the living stone who's been rejected was chosen by God. So you have been rejected by man, but God has chosen you. God has chosen you. So that's why that simplistic statement that I said in point two that said, hey, listen, if you want to get over rejection, go for God. It's more than just a simple uh, a statement of just like, yeah, just go for God. Everything will be good. No, he's made it possible for that to happen. Now, there, there, there's different kinds of stones. When, when they talked about the living stone, the, the, those who received this letter would understand what that meant. Uh, very easily look at deuteronomy chapter 32 it's obvious that that the the term stone often referred to god and who he was deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 3 says i will proclaim the name of the lord oh praise the greatness of our god verse 4 he is the rock amen he is the rock His words are perfect and all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. That was in the Torah. Those were words that that many of the recipients were familiar with. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, the greatness of our God. Verse four of Deuteronomy 32. He is the rock. Now, where Jesus was rejected, there was a prophecy in Psalms 118. And I want you to go to Psalms 118. At least go with me on the computer if you're not there. And, and, and many times the Psalms would, uh, as they would sing, and they would sing about the Lord, uh, they would just begin to sing about the Messiah and, and not even realize it. And then, as time went on, Scholars would begin to identify these are things that are these are songs and this would also happen to prophets that are talking about Jesus and what he was going to do. And here it says this, that the stones that the builder rejected has become the capstone. The stone that the stones that the builders rejected had become the capstone. So it's very obvious here that Jesus, who was the stone, would be rejected. Go to Romans chapter six, verse nine. 
And now we know this, that for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. He is the living stone. Now, hold on a second. 11.45. I couldn't see my watch today. So I just wanted to see where I was on that. And I know that a couple of you are like, take your time. Go on. There's always three or four people who say that. And then the other 250 were like, stay on pace, Aaron. Stay on pace. Uh, we used to, uh, uh, back when we met in a temporary church, um, it was always the people who weren't on the setup team that said, keep preaching, brother. Keep preaching. And the setup team would be like, yeah, stay on pace. Why are you shaking your head at me again, Beth? Usually she's right there to stay on me, but she's not, 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 um, today. So, uh, so there's two types of stones that we're talking about here is that obviously the, the capstone or the cornerstone, uh, is talking about, uh, the work of Christ. Christ is the living stone. He is the one by whom we build our faith in. But the other type of stone that, that is usually referred to when this word is talking about a stone is talking about a carved stone that is carefully and, and, and carved and um, uh, someone who was a craftsman would would carve the stone perfectly so it would, in addition to the cornerstone, build the building. Are you following me? So there's two types of stone. There's a cornerstone, which is like the foundation of the building. Like without the cornerstone, the building's going to fall apart. But then there's also another type of smaller stone that a craftsman comes and he carefully etches out and he makes perfect. And he makes it perfect so it will fit in the rest of the building. And we look here again at verse 4 where it says this. It says, uh, you come to him, the living stone. That's talking about the cornerstone. That's talking about the foundation rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. Verse 5, you also like living stones. Living stones. We are not the cornerstone. All right. We're not the foundation. You know that Christianity would go on without us because Christianity is not built upon us. It's built upon Jesus Christ. But we are carefully crafted. We are carefully etched out. There is something precious about us that God has made and he has chosen and he has chosen us uniquely and he has cut us uniquely and we uniquely fit into the spiritual house that he's building. We are precious. When he looked at, he took us and he took our life and he crafted it and he cut off the edges and he shaped it in such a way, in such a way that it would perfectly fit in the spiritual house that we are to be in. So here we are, we are Alive in Christ, we're living stones, and he's making us into a spiritual house. God is etching out your life, and he's creating the, He's creating your character, and he's taking your personality, and he's bringing the Spirit of God upon it, and he's making you into something precious and chosen. And when God decided to build his spiritual house... I said, I am going to build a house, and this is going to be the house that's going to display my glory. This is going to be how I'm going to represent myself to the world. This is going to be the house that I've chosen. I'm going to build it upon Christ. He decided to take you out, to etch you perfectly, and to put you in that spiritual house. And he's chosen you. So here's the truth. The truth is this, is that Christianity and the faith and everything like it, it's going to go on without you. But it wouldn't be the same without you because you've been uniquely etched 
You've been uniquely designed. You've been uniquely chosen to be part of God's spiritual house and to be part of who he is. And if you almost read that without the without the description of Christ here, verse 4, it says this. And look at verse 4 again. As you come to him, the living stone, and then now go to verse 5. You also are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that God is building a spiritual house and you're part of it? He's chosen you. He's designed you. He has said, this is the one I have chosen him. I have chosen her. And without them, my house won't be what I have designed it to be. But we are crippled by rejection. We're crippled by rejection. And we we have somewhere along the way lost our way and lost our path and we've lost our progress. Here's the last thing I want to challenge you with is make your choice. Here's the deal. Make your choice. Is either rejection or God? It's, it's true. You can make your choice. I, I, I told you today that, that I'm not going to journey through the psychology of this and the, and the, the different aspects of these are the ways you identify rejection and speak out rejection and claim rejection. You know, there's probably people who have better teachings than me on that. All I can tell you this is that when you realize you've been chosen, when you realize you've been chosen, you go for God and you go for Him with everything you have, that you begin to be transformed into His likeness and all of a sudden the rejection that has paralyzed you won't have a hold on you anymore because you are being built into a spiritual house. God has chosen you, and he's chosen to take you to new places. You know, Galatians 5, 7 and 8. Here's a scripture that, that uh, is talking about legalism and other things, but the, the words of the scripture has just meant so much to me, uh, different areas of my life. And it says this, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Verse 8, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Look at verse 7 again. You were running such a good race. Who cut in on you? And I just want to say, who has rejected you? Who has spoken against you? Who has told you that you're something that you're not? Who cut you off? Where was it? Because I... I have a feeling that if I could personally sit down with you, you could take me back to the place. You could take me back to the person. You could take me back to the conversation and say that kind of rejection. I've never been the same since then. Can I tell you, though, you can never be the same from this day forward. Because whatever rejection was spoken over you, whether it was an act, whether it was words, whether it was whatever form that that rejection took, that doesn't come from God. 